So we are in this three-week series on our identity, our uh, purpose. I'm trying to not use the word vision, but it's hard to avoid. It's like, what's that game you play where you have to describe the word without using it, you know? So I'm trying to describe the vision of the church without using the word vision, which is often quite loaded with all kinds of baggage. But that's basically what we're talking about. And it comes down to three things, loving God, loving each other, loving the world. We talked a couple of weeks ago about loving God, and we described ourselves as a word-centered church, and we described ourselves as a worshiping church. Uh, Last week, we talked about loving each other, and uh, we looked into the idea of koinonia, We've been in this passage in Acts 2, and we talked about koinonia, or fellowship, or participation in each other's lives, and what it means to be a generous church, what it means to be an hospitable church, what it means to be an inclusive church. And we did this crazy social experiment last week, those of you who were here. Um, And the feedback has has been interesting, and I particularly appreciate those of you who I know are strongly introverted and really struggled with what we did last week. Um, if you weren't here, we, we had, you know, what was it, five, eight minutes in the service where we just interacted. And I know for some of you, you literally had heart palpitations at that point, but you stuck with it, and good on you. It's not easy for everyone, um, but it is important, and it's just part of this culture we're trying to create. So, that was interesting, and uh, this morning we're, we're going to tackle the last part of this threefold idea, loving the world. So let's set the scene again. We're going to read the same passage. We've been in each week, Acts 2, this picture of the very first community of Jesus' people in Jerusalem. A few thousand of them spread among various houses, but um, here they are. Well, let's just remind ourselves of the flavor of this, and then we'll talk about how they love the world. Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, For the last few years, each December, I've spoken down at a a sports camp, sports camp for teenagers down in Totra Springs Christian Centre in Matamata. Even though I'm completely unsporty for some reason, I've gone down there and uh, it's been a lot of fun. The last two years, our church has also taken a band down, which has been great. And these guys, you know, Phil and Ryan and Grant, these guys like to crank up the volume and it's all rock and roll and the teenagers are bouncing up and down and it's crazy. It's good fun. Um, And it means that because I'm not particularly athletic and because Shaw didn't have a sports team in these camps, uh, at least last year, uh, most of the day we had free. And so we would just kind of muck around this huge big camp at Totra Springs. Um, We jumped in these big tube tyres and floated down the stream uh, we played uh, with these water balloons. We like became kids again. It was, it was fantastic. And we came across this little playground, which I'm sure was for, for kids under 12. Um, but we jumped, we jumped on it. It was like we all just became little schoolboys and girls. And we were, you know, sliding down the slide and jumping on this hammock and just being completely stupid. And, 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 and the best part of this playground was in the center of it, there was one of those old school playground roundabouts. Do you remember them? 
And uh, you, you know, you, you're trying to jump on this thing. You push it. You grab on and, and run as hard as you can. And then you jump on. And someone else is still running and running and running and pushing, pushing, pushing. And, you, and you're just holding on and, and leaning back and just getting all the G-forces pushing you. You, know, you remember this, right? You've been there. And it's just great fun. And you try to turn around and you try to dance around and just be completely stupid. And then you'll have a turn running and you know, someone else is just being shoved off the side of this thing. It's fantastic. I mean, I don't know what anyone else thought walking past. This is supposed to be the camp speaker in the band and there's just no sense of decorum at all. But uh, it, was, it was great fun. Now, there is, there is a tenuous illustration here that I want to try and make. And it is, it, is, it is tenuous, okay? But just try and stay with me here. What I want to argue is this. The, the, the whole idea of, of this roundabout, and I, I don't know much about physics, but that, that force is called a centrifugal force, right? This outward force from the center outward. I, I want to argue that this church that we see in Acts 2 had a centrifugal force to it. All right, you see what I mean? Not literally, or else that would look funny, but metaphorically. That there was in this community and in any healthy biblical community, a sense of outward propulsion, that they weren't just there for one another, and they weren't just there to worship God, but as things got spinning, there was this irresistible movement outward, and they really existed for the sake of the world, and they were moved from their gatherings to the world, to outsiders, people far from God, people far from church, people who would never enter their gatherings, but they were moved with love and grace and service and, and gospel proclamation towards their world. This is what characterized the church, and it was absolutely central. This is the idea of loving the world, that in a healthy church, we are pushed out. And when that doesn't happen in a church, it inevitably becomes insular and it dies because there is no life coming in and there is no sense of mission and there is very little sense of purpose. And I would say that this is what gives a lot of what we've been talking about its meaning and its value. Even when we talk about loving each other, that's not just for the sake of it. But we love each other for the sake of the world. Ultimately, we love each other for the sake of the lost. And it's not just about church picnics and church potlucks that bring people together. It's being united in a common mission that's actually what creates, I think, the greatest sense of internal community, is that we have a sense that we are on this mission together, that we are brothers and sisters in arms, as it were, and we are here because we are united in a cause that's bigger than ourselves. That's what pulls us together, like soldiers on a battlefield. The camaraderie is established by virtue of the fact that we're fighting a common enemy. So loving the world is absolutely central. And I know that as we've worked through these three ideas, loving God, loving each other, loving the world, and I know from conversations with some of you, different people respond to, these, to each of these three things in different ways. And some people are all about the loving God stuff. For some people, church is, you know, the worship is really where it's at, you know, to create these contexts we're worshiping. For others, it's all about the loving each other. And we just have to be absolutely committed to that. And then others, it's nothing if it's not evangelism. It's nothing if it's not loving the world. I think all of that's great, but you have to hold all three together. I don't think you can elevate any one of those. It's a three-legged stool. You can't rip one leg out or else the stool's going to crash. They're all absolutely essential. And so we have to really figure out what does this loving the world thing look like? 
What does it mean for us as a community to have a centrifugal force and to be pushed outward? There's a couple of things in this passage. Let me make some observations. The very last phrase in verse 47, the very last sentence, have a look at this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's this intriguing sentence that just implies a lot of what's happening, even though you don't know how exactly that worked. But what it says, what's interesting is that it says daily. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say the Lord added to their number weekly at a worship service, those who were being saved. It doesn't say the Lord added to their number at a, at a, at a Billy Graham rally once a year. It, daily. So what I take out of this is that the members of this community must have been active on a daily basis as they went about their lives, their stuff, their work, their family life, their social life. They were active in taking this message about the crucified and risen Jesus to those they interacted with. It's a very simple idea, but but this is, I think, how it must have happened, so that evangelism or outreach wasn't just the prerogative and responsibility of a few gifted evangelists, But it was something that rested on the whole community. And as people went about their business, they just took this message and they initiated conversations. And God, as the active agent here, He, through them, added to their number. I don't think that means God just zapped people's consciences who didn't know Him and said, right, you're saved, you're saved. He clearly used the members of the community. It was through what was spoken. Just as Paul says uh, in Romans, how can they believe unless they've heard? And how can they know, how can they hear unless someone goes to them? So there's this sense of actively going and actively sharing. um, A couple of years ago, I changed mechanics. I used to have a mechanic on Piermark Drive, which is the road that our church office is on. It was really convenient. Just I could walk there, not that you would because you've got to take your car, but it was really close. I could walk back. Uh, But then I got an offer a promo offer for one year from another mechanic slightly further away. And because it was such a good deal, I switched. And during the course of that year, as I was going to this other mechanic, there was a guy there who I had some good conversations with. Nothing profound, nothing, you know, I didn't sort of share the gospel with him, but just talked. And and he was kind of, I sensed, open in a spiritual sense. And we just had some conversations, talked a little bit about church, and I just thought, "This this is good stuff. And at the end of that year... The promo deal finished, so there wasn't really any economic incentive for me to stay with this mechanic. It would have been more convenient for me to move back. But I thought, you know, there's, there's a relational value to sticking with this mechanic because there's, there's a relationship here that might just bring something. And so I stuck with this. And then that guy left. That was, that was a bit disappointing. But, but then, yeah, I know, not all my stories end well. But... <laughs> But then, but then another guy came in, interestingly, and, and he's, he's still there now. And this, in fact, I would say even more so, this guy has, a, has an openness. And we've had some, again, some conversation. Once again, I haven't sort of talked him through the, the, the gospel, uh, but we've had some talks. And he's asked about church, and he's got a perception of another church that's really negative. And so I've been able to just slowly dismantle a bit of that and just try and work on those perceptions. It's low-key. I don't, I don't have the gift of evangelism, honestly. I don't think I'm much good at this stuff, but I'm trying. And for me, that is trying to be strategic with a relationship that I have with someone who doesn't know God. Part of my job is 
uh, a lot of my job is meeting with people and during the day I can have you know, several meetings and I've found that I was bouncing around from cafe to cafe to cafe. What I've tried to do is go to one cafe and I've, I've struck up a relationship with the owner of this particular cafe. Now again, nothing amazing has happened yet. He hasn't fallen on his knees and confessed Jesus as Saviour and Lord and sung hallelujah. But it's just, you know, we're talking. And he, he knows that, that I work for a church. We've had church events sometimes in the, uh, in the cafe. And when I go there, I just make an effort to try and engage him. Just have a joke, you know, say something, just ask a question, just try and do this relational thing. This is being strategic. This is the kind of stuff. This is the daily, right? This is the daily stuff. Same thing with my hairdresser, right? I have a hairdresser that's quite inconvenient for me to get to. But I've stuck with this one because there's a couple of guys there who I can interact and I've got a bit of a relationship with and I'm able to ask some questions. It's just being aware of these people. See, for me, my workplace doesn't work for this so well, as you can imagine, because nobody that works for sure is actually a non-Christian, but, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, but you guys, <laughs> you guys have an opportunity that I don't have. So you might think, you might say, oh, well, it's easy for you because you're a pastor. You know, naturally, you can talk about church, all this stuff. But you would be amazed. I think it's harder as a pastor. You'd be amazed the amount of times you're talking to someone at a party or a barbecue. You mentioned the fact you're a pastor. The number of people that need to go and get another drink <laughs> at that point. It's incredible, you know. Whereas you, you know, it's, you, you're, not, you're not weird and freaky to people, you know, so you're, you can just converse with them. Sure, I can, you know, if they are interested, I can talk about church and so on, but you're rubbing shoulders with people I'm not. I'm trying to do what I can, uh, but this is something that is each of our responsibility, to look at our world, to look at the people we're, we're bumping into, not just workmates, but just people that we come across, and just being aware, just actually as we go through our day, being aware of other people. And trying to be a little bit tactical, trying to be a little bit strategic, trying to actually initiate these kinds of conversations. Don't beat yourself up if you have not yet shared the full gospel with someone and they haven't got saved. That's not your responsibility to get them to that point. Ultimately, it is to share the gospel. But we can just take small steps. We can just draw people out. We can just build a relationship. That in itself is hugely valuable. We can ask a few questions. We can try and hear people's stories. The times when this really bears fruit is when the people you're building relationship with go through crisis. That is often when people are starting to think, okay, now they're opening up. Now they're thinking about life and death. Now, and often, if they know you're a believer, and maybe you've had a conversation, they may just then say, you know, I'm going to start talking. I need to, to find someone I can be real with. And you may have to wait until that day comes. You may drift apart and never see them again, but you've planted a seed. And a lot of this is just being aware during the course of our day, having your radar, your spiritual radar up so that you're aware of these. We can just go through our lives just so focused on the working and, the, and going to the gym and just you know walking our neighborhood street and we're not even aware of people around us. But just take a moment each day and, and just pray and ask God to just allow you to be aware of these people around you. Ask God to make you aware of them as Jesus was aware of people. And he saw them not just as farmers and shepherds and tradesmen, but as lost sheep without a shepherd. That was the lens that Jesus wore. That's how he saw people. And if we can learn to see people the same way, we will be motivated to action. We'll be far more propelled with that centrifugal force towards them. And praying for them is so critical. This is something you can do. 
even if you're terrified of talking to them. Just pray, bring their name to God. There's, some, there's a power in actually mentioning their name to God. And even now as I'm talking, you've got names and faces in your mind, people you're thinking of who don't know Jesus. Bring those names, bring those faces before the Lord. And pray. this is a spiritual battle. And we can be on our knees praying that God would remove whatever barrier remains to this person coming to faith. Whatever objections are there, whatever bad perceptions of the church, whatever thing is going or whatever wall is still up, God, would you break it down? You start praying like that, something happens in your heart. You're releasing God's power into the situation and and your own spirit is stirred a little more to take a few steps, to say a few words, to take the opportunity and just to be aware of these people. There'll be some people in your life that maybe are right there and they're ripe and you're able to share the gospel and share God's story. For others, it may just be early stages of building a relationship. But put yourself in places where those friendships are being formed. If you're a teacher and you never go up to the staff room at lunchtime, but you just stay in your classroom getting extra work done, how are you going to be rubbing shoulders with people where these opportunities come to the surface? You've got to put yourself in places where this can happen. If you never stay another half an hour on Friday for office drinks, how are you going to get in conversations with people? Because it doesn't just happen easily in the, in the, in the back and forwards of, of the office life. You've got to find the context. You've got to find the ways. You've got to place yourself in the positions where conversations can emerge. This, I think, is what the early church was committed to. This, I think, was central for them at an individual level and what it means to love the world. This is why we run Introducing God as a course. That course is a tool for you. It's not something that the church does for you. This is a tool for all of us to be looking for people that we can invite along. And really what that's doing is making it easy for you because they're able to come hear a message. It's a tool for you then to pick up conversation on the way home, at work the next day, in your coffee group the next week, wherever it is. It's a tool to get conversation spinning. It's not the whole answer, but it's something that can just spur conversation and spur relationship, enabling you to maximize that friendship for the power of the gospel. So if you haven't thought about someone yet to invite, if you haven't yet got someone on your radar, be praying about that. Talk to Carl about that. See if you can get someone along to that course. And if they're not there and they're not ready and it wouldn't work, then you just keep taking the initiative. Keep praying for them. Keep bringing them before God and keep doing what you're able to do. Keep that stuff alive because that is what it means to love the world. Now there's a second aspect to all this. As well as being active at an individual level in terms of sharing the good news about Jesus, there's there's an intriguing little verse in this passage a little bit earlier on, that we often are a bit uncomfortable with, but let's just see what, see what we think of it. Uh, verse 43, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. We're often, we, we tend to gloss that because it's, we're not quite sure what to do with it. Especially you know, in churches like ours, we're a bit nervous. What's this mean? Signs and wonders and miracles? Are we going to be swinging from the chandeliers soon? What's happening here? You know? But what were these signs? that the apostles performed. If you, if you keep reading through Acts, the very next chapter, you, you find one. Peter heals a guy who was lame, a beggar, restores him to life. People from cities all around Jerusalem are bringing uh, the sick to the apostles, and they're healing them. And these healings are specifically referred to as signs, as samia, signs. 
And the, and the thing with a sign, of course, is you want to ask, well, what's it a sign of? A sign is something that points to something else, isn't it? A sign is something that represents a reality. What are these signs that the apostles are performing, these healings, these casting out of demons, these restoring of people's lives? What are they signs of? And I think to get the answer to that, you have to go back to the ministry of Jesus because undoubtedly the apostles saw themselves as carrying on the work that Jesus had started. Jesus went around healing. He cast out unclean spirits. He fed 5,000 people. These were signs. Signs of what? Not just signs that Jesus is Lord. They were that, but something else. I think these were signs of the kingdom. Signs of the kingdom breaking in. Signs of God's new creation taking shape on planet Earth. Signs of exactly what Jesus prayed, God's will being done on Earth as it is in heaven. That's actually what the kingdom of God is at its most basic, in its most basic sense. God's will being done on Earth as it is in heaven. And it takes imagination to work that out. What would it look like if God's will was done on Earth as it is in heaven? Well, it would look like people being healed, wouldn't it? It would look like people being fed. It would look like people being cleansed. It would look like all of these things, miraculous or not, that the apostles and Jesus were doing. They were signs of the kingdom's power and the new creation that Jesus was bringing about, taking shape right here on planet Earth in the present, not just waiting for the future when it will be here fully, but even a taste of it right now. That's what the apostles are doing. That's what these signs and wonders are. They were signs of the kingdom, signs of the new creation. Now, here's the question. What does it look like to perform these signs and wonders today? Now, if you want to, you can try Peter's technique. And when you see a sick person, you can let your shadow fall over them. And, you know, maybe they'll be healed. It may have, I, I do think God heals people today. But I think there's a broader sense in which we can think about signs and wonders. I would say these signs are anything we do that brings the kingdom to bear on our present world. Whenever we demonstrate the gospel, whenever we bring new creation into this old creation, we are doing God's will on earth as it's done in heaven. And so what does it look like? In Albany, what does it look like in our community? What does it look like in our country for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, of course it means people knowing Jesus. Of course it means people being in relationship with Christ. That's central. But more broadly, doesn't it mean people's dignity is restored? Doesn't it mean that the poor are helped? Doesn't it mean that justice is brought into situations of injustice? Doesn't it mean equality? Aren't all of these things going to be characteristic of the final kingdom? Aren't all of these things... You see, it's not just about getting a person to heaven when they die. I think Jesus died for more than that. And without taking anything away from that personal, individual salvation, I think the signs that we are called to perform, the wonders, if you like, are bringing God's reign into situations where it doesn't yet exist, which may look like helping people who are marginalized by society. Elderly, disabled, at-risk children, immigrants, refugees. When you do these things, when you help these people, when you bless these people, when you lift them up, as God commanded us exactly to do through the voice of the prophets of the Old Testament, look out for the orphan and the foreigner and the alien and the widow. Look out for these people, the fatherless. You go to them. God hasn't changed his mind. God didn't become a new God in the New Testament. He still calls us to do these things, not for the sake of it, but because that's what it means for the kingdom to take shape. 
That's what it means for new creation to break in. So I would suggest that last year, these things that we did to serve our community when we went and renovated that community house, when we did a few projects around here in the school, they weren't just warm-ups. They weren't just kind of the prelude to the main event, which is sharing the gospel. But they were signs of the kingdom taking shape right here on planet Earth. You might think that's drawing a long bow, but that's how I interpret these signs and wonders in Acts chapter 2. When you create a space where community facilities and services can be provided to people that might not otherwise get them, I think you're doing exactly what Jesus would have done when he was here on earth. He didn't just tell people about the kingdom, he showed people the kingdom, what it looks like in practice. He lived it and he demonstrated it. And it often meant helping the least of these helping the marginalized, helping those on the underside of power and privilege and status and rank and lifting them up. That is what moves the heart of the Father and that is what should move us as a church. Again, don't hear me saying that evangelism is not important. I just think mission is holistic. It is the whole gospel to the whole person. The whole gospel. Everything changes in view of the cross. Not just people's souls Everything changes. Grant said it to us before. The cross redeems all of creation, and that begins now. Eternal life begins now. And we are called to outwork that. So we don't, as a church, we're not just going to love our community in order to be able to tell them about Jesus. We hope that that will happen. But we're not just going to say, we'll help you as long as we can share this message with you. We're going to love them without an agenda. We're going to love them without any strings attached. We're going to love them simply because that's what Jesus did. Yes, of course, evangelism is our ultimate motive. But it is not our ulterior motive. Do you see the difference? Evangelism is our ultimate motive, but it is not our ulterior motive. That means some things we do, we will be overtly talking about Jesus. Sometimes we won't. But in the big scheme of things, both are important and both are valid. There doesn't need to be a tension or some problem between evangelism, sharing the gospel, and social action, showing the gospel. Both are part of mission. Both are part of outreach. Both, I would argue, are what the early church was engaged in doing. Both are part of what the cross came to redeem. Both are part of our mandate. So this is who we're going to be as a church. A church committed to sharing the gospel, And a church committed to showing the gospel through love and kindness and goodness and lifting up those who are downtrodden. Yesterday, I opened a gym. I opened a gym. This was a first for me. It's amazing the things you get asked to do when you're a pastor. But I opened a gym. And uh, this is a gym. It's called Fit for Life Fitness Center. It's a gym that was started by five people from this church. And they've begun, it's a, it's a full-on gym, uh, fitness center. And they've begun it not as simply a commercial enterprise, but as a ministry. And it revolves around four things. Faith. So the idea is Christians come and invite their friends. It's a place where a very neutral space, not like inviting them to a church service or a rally. You invite them to a gymnasium where conversations can naturally emerge, Christian leadership in the gym, and, and, and it's designed as a, as a place where, hopefully, spiritual connections can be made. Second value is friendship. So genuine relationships can take place. The whole space is set up for relational value. Uh, finance, they're going to run seminars helping people budget, 
helping people who struggle financially, and of course, fitness. Now, I like this because it's holistic ministry. It's still centered around Jesus. They're still passionately evangelistic, but they're taking the whole gospel to the whole person, meeting physical needs, relational needs, financial needs, as well as spiritual needs. This is, the ty- this is why we're backing these guys. This is why we're in backing people that are working there financially, because it represents the type of ministry that resonates with our heartbeat as a church, this holistic idea of the whole church, not just a few, but the whole church, taking the whole gospel, not a truncated version of it, but the whole gospel, to the whole person, not just the soul, but the whole person throughout the whole world. And that's what mission is. That's how we understand it, the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole person throughout the whole world. Shall we pray? Father, we desire that your name is lifted up and we desire that all people are drawn to you. And we thank you, Lord, that on the cross you defeated sin in all of its forms. Wherever it was rearing its ugly head, in every crevice of society and culture, you defeated it there. And now you've entrusted us with this task of outworking that victory by rolling back the effects of sin. And Lord, it starts as we just summon the boldness and the courage to talk to people about you. And we want to take that responsibility seriously and we want to take it personally. And Father, then we feel the pull even more broadly than that as a church to be engaged in our community, to be engaged in society, to be engaged even in the great causes of our age, in poverty, HIV, AIDS, some of these things, Father, we know the church shouldn't stand aside from that stuff. We should be moved to be your hands and your feet and the voice of your spirit speaking into and acting in those situations. So make us as a church holistic, Lord, in our understanding of mission and in what we do. And I pray that today wouldn't just be another sermon, another talk fest, but it would motivate us and propel us to action. Make us a church, Lord, that has a centrifugal force, that we would meet here but that we would be struck, as, even as we sit here, with the sense that the action is somewhere else. That the real game and the real battle is beyond these walls and beyond this huddle. It's in our world, it's in our workplaces, it's in our weeks. So, so give us the boldness, Father, to act on what we've been talking about this morning. Make us missional people. Make us a missional church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.